Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 260 of Yoga Land. Today, my guest is Sarah Henderson. Sarah is a yoga teacher based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and in recent years, the bulk of Sarah's teaching has focused on adults with cognitive and intellectual disabilities. And she will explain at the top of the episode how she got into this work and her extensive background in working with folks with developmental disabilities. She really, I think, is just was so perfectly positioned to do this work. But one of the things that she demonstrates so clearly in the episode and the way that she shares with us is that really all of us are poised to do work with all different kinds of people. And that was really the main reason I wanted to talk to her today. I like to always highlight the idea that teaching yoga doesn't solely happen in, you know, mainstream studios where the bulk of the population is very young and very able-bodied, that yoga can happen in all different kinds of places and in all different kinds of ways. I initially got to know Sarah because she reached out to Jason and I because she'd taken both of our online courses and she shared that she was able to take a lot of what she learned in Jason's sequencing course and take the foundational concepts and really apply them specifically to the way that she teaches and to the people that she teaches. And so I I wanted to hear more about that and she explains that really well. One other thought I have before we start the interview is I love how Sarah talks about how sometimes her uh, folks who come to her class, they might not actually feel like participating in the way that we see as traditional participation for that particular day. They might not want to do the asana practice, or maybe they don't want to do the chanting part or, or what whatever. And Sarah really allows them to make that choice for themselves and to participate in whatever way feels appropriate for them on that particular day. And often the people will stay in the room. They might do yoga with some of her bendable dolls that she has, or they might color a mandala, or they might just listen. And after the interview, I was talking to Jason about this, about how in the past, I don't know, 10 to 15 years, I've just really awakened to this idea of how important belonging is. And what I mean by that is we're social beings and we're social animals and we need each other. And so we all need to feel a sense of belonging. However, that belonging might look different depending on who you are and what you come to the group with. So for a lot of people who have different abilities or are neurodiverse, their sense of belonging might not look like verbal participation or outward participation or, you know, being boisterous and standing up in front of the group and giving a talk, but they still want to be included and they still want to feel like it's okay for them to be themselves within the group. And so I say this not just from a yogic perspective, although I think you can make it really clear in the way that you market your classes that anyone can come and participate in whatever way is appropriate for them. 
But even in your social life, like there may be neighbors, there may be cousins, there may be people in your class with you who might not be able to express that they want to belong or they want to be included and they might not be able to verbalize in a typical way, but they still might truly, well, I think they would truly enjoy feeling like you acknowledge them and feeling like they belong there. So I just say this to encourage you all to extend yourselves to all different kinds of people around you and to not feel nervous that you're invading their space or that you're offending them. If that happens, you will figure that out. (laughs) I think it's more important to make everyone around us know that their presence is valued and valuable. Okay, a little bit of housekeeping before I begin the interview. Jason and I both are offering a series of online courses this year. Jason's module two and three are now open for registration, and you can find out more by going to our website, jasonyoga.com slash 500 hour. He also is offering hybrid training in London this year, and you I have links to that from our website. It's on TriYoga's website. He's doing it through TriYoga UK. Lastly, he's offering both a hybrid and an in-person 200-hour training. So you can find out about all this stuff either by subscribing to our newsletter, jasonyoga.com newsletter, or by going to our website on the homepage. You'll find different places to click through for the different trainings. And you can also join my waiting list for my content blueprint program at jasonyoga.com content blueprint. Okay, everyone. Thanks for listening. Here's the interview with Sarah. When I was three and a half, my sister Hannah was born with Down syndrome and it was not a prenatal diagnosis. That wasn't really a thing back in 1976, I don't think. And um, I'm the oldest of three in, um, in my family that way. And that kind of set a trajectory for the the life of our family. Um, my dad was a school teacher and my mom was a stay-at-home mom and Hannah's birth. I mean, they were young. They were like 21 and 27, I think when she was oh, born. Wow. So really kind of outside the range of what, uh, as I was an older mom when I was having babies and, you know, the risk factors go up. So so really, really a surprise and and also um, a huge gift in in so many ways. And my my parents both ended up kind of changing um, as their careers grow. My grew. My dad ended up going into nonprofit work, working for an organization that did advocacy and recreation and support programs for people with disabilities. And had a whole career working for uh, two different organizations. My mom also did work in field of disabilities and disabling illnesses. And, you know, this kind of became my reality. Like I was, I was four years old and I was learning about physical therapy and occupational therapy and speech therapy. And my sister started going to a separate setting school when she was about one and a half when she got a little bit older, we lived in a really small mountain town in Colorado. My dad really got kind of his advocacy going and advocated for her to be educated in our local community. And she was the first, she was the first kid in our community that really went to elementary school in a mainstreamed uh, setting, which is the words that were used back right. in the 80s. And so 
advocacy and support was was just part of who our family was and and my sister is really amazing. And when I got out of college, I ended up also going into disability services and I worked in recreation. I worked in what's called respite care, which is providing support services to families that are in uh, or you know just need a break from caregiving because it can be a lot. I worked at an inclusive preschool Mm -hmm. and it was half kids with disabilities, half kids without. And I ran a a library that was a family support center for families, all families, but was able to provide some specific resources for people with kids with disabilities. And then I was a early intervention um, case manager and developmental evaluator for a number of years with our local early intervention program, working with families zero to three. Um, Sarah, what an amazing background you have. Well, you know, I really, I loved the work. I I really, and it was just, it was an extension of of who I was and who my family was. And then um, I became a mom myself. When my first two were little, I was working as a case manager and developmental evaluator. And it, it just kind of got to be a lot of working all day with families who had um, kids who were either born with a diagnosis or they were trying to figure out what was going on. And I've got these two little kids at home and I just, it just kind of became a lot. And that was, that was where my yoga practice, I dabbled a little bit with some, you know, Rodney Yee videos (laughs) in the past, but that's really where it became really, I needed yoga to balance myself, but then also just realized like I, it was too much for me to be trying to parent really well these two children, um, one of whom it was kind of an intense baby and can sometimes still be, and now is a 14-year-old, but the wanting to give the best to families. And I just kind of rec- I reached the understanding that, that I wasn't going to be able to give my best in both places. And mm-hmm. so I was able to come home and be a full-time mom. And during that time, um, that little window... I had another baby, my third, and went to, um, I did my yoga teacher training shortly thereafter. And I really kind of thought like, okay, that, there was one career and now I have this new career as a yoga teacher. And it was a few years into my teaching yoga where I started to just kind of look around and say, where are, where are the people with disabilities? Like, mm. what, you know, who's doing this for people with disabilities? and that sent me on a Google search and I found uh, Matthew Stanford of Mind Body Solutions based out of um, Minneapolis. And um, do, do you know Matthew? I do. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I studied, started studying with him in 2014 and I'm, I'm what they call a repeat offender. It's <laughs> 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 taken all the classes a number of times and, and really, you know, Matthew's work primarily focuses on on physical disability and um, and trauma and things like that which is which is super interesting and I learned a lot and through my one of my practicums for one of their programs I started working with private client who has cerebral palsy and just amazing amazing woman that I still work with from time to time COVID's changed that so that was sort of this this opening for me of like okay there there is a world in there and and then I I but I still got like you know this 
heart for people with intellectual disabilities and developmental disabilities. And I remember after maybe my first or second training at Mind Body Solutions, I I walked up to Matthew and I said, I said, I am loving this. This is so great. Who is doing this work that I can learn from with people with intellectual and developmental disabilities? And he looked at me and he just, he's got this like very like magical kind of fairy like smile kind of you know in mm-hmm. the smile and um and he's like there's not a lot of people out there doing it so why not you and I was like what you know <laughs> uh, so how would you say you know you got that little nudge which is great from Matthew Sanford and how would you say you had to I mean it's great because it, he did, did the absolute right thing because you have such a long history of working uh, with so many different types of people and you have, you know, the heart connection to someone with a disability. And so, that, I don't know, I think that really helps a lot in terms of just really trying to get in there and have deep empathy without it, without othering people. Mm-hmm. I th- I don't know, that's just... A, thought that I had. How would you say you took some of like what you learned um, from Matthew in terms of creating an inclusive space and addressing the the physical options for physical disabilities and then started to bring in your work from the past of working with people from with developmental dif- disabilities? How, how did you mentally kind of merge those two two things? Yeah. So one of the things that that Matthew will talk a lot about is breaking down yoga poses and recognizing what parts of poses are doing energetically and then how you can access that. Like he he teaches a lot with with prana and a lot of like super detail. He he um comes out of the Iyengar Iyengar, tradition. Yeah, I remember that. So yeah. so a lot a lot of that. But I think that that what that's helped me to do is think about what are the different pieces that are happening in a pose. And so what are what are ways that it can look like? So we can take a pose like Garudasana, you know, and say if we're sitting in a chair, we can cross our legs and we can give ourselves a hug. Mm. And in so many ways, energetically, it's the same thing as our as our eagle pose. But I'm accessing a way to help folks connect with themselves. It's tactile stimulation, and we can talk about, especially like during COVID, like we couldn't hug people. Oh, that's um, so true. You know, and so like we, I know we can't give each other hugs, but let's like give ourselves a hug together. And so thinking about, you know, and maybe we don't even cross our legs, and we're just still giving ourselves a hug. But I, I know I've got Garudasana in there, right? Because yeah. that we're, you know, we're we're closing, you know, we're opening the back of the spine. And Matthew teaches a lot about the spine and the the movements of the spine. And so I'm always thinking about even if I'm if I'm creating a sequence that may not be talking a ton about the spine to my folks, I'm still thinking about how do I give their spines an experience and I make sure that I'm that I'm covering, you know, do we have some forward bending? Do we have back bending? Do we have, you know, lateral bending, twisting to each side and then neutral? And it might sound a lot different if I was teaching a class at the YMCA where I'd be talking about those different kind of things, but it's all in there. 
knowing that, you know, I think Matthew would say that the spine has knowledge, you know, that's separate, you know, the spine and the body have knowledge that's separate from the knowledge that the mind has, Mm -hmm. you know, and that doesn't mean we talk about, we talk about stretching side to side and do you notice how that feels good? You know, we talk about like one of the things when we do seated cat and cow, we call it turtle going in and out of their its shell. And I have mm-hmm. this picture of a, one turtle with its neck sticking out and a turtle in its shell on top of it. And, you know, we, we were doing that flexion and extension of the spine, but I've given them a visual as a reference right. to think about what they're doing with their body. And Matthew talks a ton about, about reference as a way to access what's happening between your body and your mind. And he does that as someone who experiences a paralyzed body is that his, his sensation isn't giving him reference. So what are some other ways that we can find that? So. And visual learning. That's, that's interesting. I didn't, I wouldn't have thought of that as something that would help him in his body. Like you said, I know that for kids with learning disabilities, visual learning can be incredibly helpful because sometimes auditory learning is delayed or auditory learning is yeah. is just not as effective as 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 visual learning. So you're so that's an interesting thought you're giving the the auditory cues and then you're giving your visual cue and then sometimes you're assisting with an outside visual cue like you said an yeah. image. That's so smart. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and thinking about, you know, that that so much of of what we use for languaging around the poses is it, you know, it gives you a reference, but in your mind. So when I say we're going to do tree pose, our physical bodies don't actually look that much like a tree, but because we know that there's a tree, we can access our memory and then understand that connection. So what I'm doing with my yoga pose cards is just showing them a picture of the tree. And then, like you said, doing the, the tree pose, and we talk about like our feet are the roots, our spine and our core is the trunk, and then our arms are the branches. Can can you feel the wind blowing through your branches? And it just creates another way for them to connect in a way that I think takes their their learning a little deeper. Like if I just if I before I had the flashcards and was doing that, they would follow my body movements because that's you know they're they are very well expected in their lives to do what the leader in charge mm-hmm. of them says mm-hmm. to do. But, you know, one of the things I think about what Jason teaches a lot is that that as a as a teacher, like don't just be a facilitator, really be a teacher and take or give people opportunities to keep deepening their knowledge. And mm-hmm. and I've just watched, you know, over the last year of using these visual references is that they learn the poses better. They're learning the sequencing better. They are able to talk with me more about mm-hmm. what they're experiencing and what this feels like. And I, I know which ones are their favorites. And so it, for me, it's been a huge leap forward in, in connecting with folks to give that additional form of what Matthew would call reference. That's awesome. Um, That's so great. And I can just, when as you're talking about it, it makes sense. Like, if you do have any delays, right, in, in any brain development, accessing memory, different levels of memory can be really challenging. Right. So like even just working memory, right, which is like our fastest, you see, you know, you see Sarah do a tree, you do three other poses, and then it's like you maybe can't access that image of Sarah again the way someone else can. Right. Because your working right. memory might be 
not as acute. So to have that assistance, I would imagine, would really kind of relax people too, right? Like they're not as trying to focus on one way of learning it. It's like, okay, that that visual assistance is there. And so they can kind of, I would bet they could kind of, like, it's interesting that you say that they can talk about it more. And it makes sense. It just intellectually, to me, just makes sense, right? Because it's yeah. like, yeah, it's more accessible. And, and for folks that have autism as well, different people experience autism different ways, but some of them are very literal. And so by showing them a picture of the tree, you know, I think that that probably helps them yes, get into absolutely. get into it more. Our classes are very conversational. Like we're, we're, you know, having conversation the entire time, you know, partly I'm asking them, you know, do you feel where it's stretching in your rib cage? You know, do you feel how strong you are? Let's say this mantra together. And then, you know, they, they might say, oh, this also reminds me of this reminds me like we, we rocked forward and back as a way of doing some spinal flexion. And, and um, I say, it's like, we're rocking in a rocking chair. And there, this one guy is like, like at the Cracker Barrel, which is a, I don't oh, know cute. if y'all have yes, Cracker Barrel yes, out, yes. out there, but you know, and so now that's become part of what we do when we, when we rock forward and back, we rock, like we're rocking in a rocking chair at the Cracker Barrel. And sometimes they're telling me, I like to, uh, I like to go to the Cracker Barrel with my mom and, or, you know, I get pancakes when I go to the Cracker Barrel. And and all of that is part of our yoga practice because we are connecting. It's an opportunity for me to listen to them, to learn about their lives. And, and we're doing movement and breath and and all of that together. But, you know, it's not going to look like a flow class where everyone's silent when they come in and the only voice that is heard is the, is the yoga teacher's. But we're doing that deep work of of really connecting our humanity while we move and breathe and experience, you know, what does it mean to be human and alive together? Mm. That's a great, you just kind of like described your whole mission statement there, which is, <laughs> which is great. Because I hadn't thought to ask you that question of like, what is your overall philosophy like when you go into that room? Like you said, you know, Autism is different in everybody and everybody's brain is different. And so if you're working with people with an array of different kinds of disabilities, I would imagine that it would require you to, to go in and, and have it be slightly conversational, whether that's literal or whether it's watching for a while until you learn what their needs are. So yeah, I was, I was wondering like when you first started teaching these classes, a, how nervous were you because you you're not exactly sure like what their needs are and then B how did you approach that how did you figure out how to structure a class so that you were really serving them when i first started having a background working with folks with intellectual disabilities for a long time was helpful so that i felt really comfortable around the population mm-hmm. And then also, I think having, again, that background in kids yoga, not like I am very strongly, like we do not treat adults with cognitive disabilities like children. It's not that, but it's again, that having that like more creative, more imaginative, less um, stuck to this is what the yoga sequence has to be. Like I knew Mm -hmm. from being a kids yoga teacher that you can do pranayama over here and you can do mantra over here. And like, like that, that things are not, they do not have to be 
in XYZ order. Got it. Yeah. In order for, you know, the yoga gods to show up. Right. (laughs) Right, Um, right. So, so having that flexibility, but I mean, a lot of it is, is really just trial and error. And that is very much something that I learned at mind body solutions from Matthew is that you try and something's not going to work and you try another thing and it's not going to work. And then you try something and it does work at least for today. And you, and you go with it. And then when I do teacher trainings, I always tell people that like, as a good yoga teacher, you like beg, borrow and steal from, from like, when you see something that's working for other teachers, you remember it and you try it with your folks. And so just really like finding and trying. And I, I work every week, I work with four different groups and I use the same lesson plan sequence. And we, if you want, we can talk about what I learned from Jason's um, sure, sequencing sure. class about how to adapt that for for my folks, but the, they're totally different classes each time because at the one place they, you know, they really like talking about the rocking chair, the cracker barrel and another class, they just really have fun when we wave our feet in a foot parade, you know, when oh, we're yeah. doing our ankle mobility and another place, they love doing lion's breath. And so, mm. you know, we do goddess pose as a bear. And so we'll, you know, use lion's breath there. We'll use it as lion's pose, you know, and, and so just the, the sequence may be the same that I've got planned out for my classes, but based on my relationships with the students and their, you know, their mood for the day, like I might show up and they're just, you know, really excited because it's somebody's birthday. And then how do I capture that, you know, and vice versa. And so I think the way that I made progress in, in my own kind of development as a teacher was just by paying close attention on what worked and what didn't work. And then knowing that anytime a new person is, is coming, it's a reshuffle of the deck you know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, and not getting too caught up in, it has to, it has to look good. It has to, you know, like we have to have a quiet Shavasana. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes I was going to ask about that. Like energetically, do you have any, not goals? That sounds so I don't know if that's not the right word, but do you notice energetic changes like when you start with a group versus a few weeks later? Do you notice just do you know what kind of energetic shifts do you notice throughout a class or does it change every time? Yeah, no, for sure. I, I would say that that especially in the classes that I'm working with now, we we went to weekly classes during, you know, when everyone was in lockdown and did online. And then as things have slowly come back to in person, they, they know that feeling of, of calm relaxation that's going to happen in yoga and they want to get there too. And so that is, that is for sure something that we have a common shared goal on. And I, I also leave a lot of room for there. There might be folks in the group that don't want to get on their mats or in their chairs and participate. And, and so I say like, you know, presence is participation. That's I have, so nice, Sarah. That's so nice <laughs> to just allow well, people to be themselves. And like you said, like so often, I'm sure that, like you said, that, that there's just so much compliance is required in their yeah. lives, like to follow yeah. these directions and these rules and line up here and do this next in your yeah. schedule. And so to just allow them to be there without forcing is like, that's such a gift. I have a bag of things that I, that I bring with me to my classes. And so like, I've got a coloring book with, you know, mandalas in it. I've got 
like a glitter meditation jar that, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I've got some bendy dolls, I've got a breathing ball. And I, for the folks that don't want to necessarily participate, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll say, would you like one of the bendy dolls today? And so instead of doing the yoga, they might bend, you know, they might listen and bend the dolls. I've got a collection of books of like the yoga and mindfulness books. They can read a book instead and they're still there. And some of them be there with everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them don't want to do any of the poses, but they love the guided relaxation at the end. One, one guy I've got, he really, he just kind of sits in his chair and likes to rock the whole time. But but there are songs that we sing and some days he wants singing. Sometimes he doesn't. So like I check in and say like, Hey, Michael, are we, um, you know, while we do our boat pose, are we going to sing? Are we going to sing about a boat? And he'll, they'll say yes or no. And then we do, or we don't. And, you know, so it's like, he might not be doing the boat with us, but he, he likes the singing and the chanting and that's part of yoga, right? But the Mm -hmm. yoga tradition is singing and chanting and breathing and so that's there. If if another guy is sitting there listening and and you know moving the the little creatures and you know dolls into the poses, like I personally think that's still participating. Oh yeah, in the yoga experience. Absolutely, um, that's brilliant. The dolls with that can bend, and that is brilliant. Yeah, and that you know again, like it's not that. It's not that I'm treating anyone like a child. I'm not no, just giving them choices. But yeah, and it's it's that how do I make this accessible? Like maybe maybe it's too sensory stimulating for you to do these asanas and these pranayamas, and you can still participate in these other ways. Because that's another thing I've learned from Matthew Sanford too is that is that for you know for neurotypical people we like the stimulation and the prana opening that comes from the yoga practice but for some people who are in disabled bodies it's just too much like so mm-hmm. to put your pranayama with your asana you know with your you know mental focus like it it can just like short circuit people and why do i need to overlay my expectations on my students you know right right it's also teaching them to trust their inner cues, right? If on a day it's not happening for them, it doesn't feel right for whatever, it could be anxiety. It could be, it could be anything. Yeah. It's gotta be just, that's part of yoga is to be able to reflect and make skillful options from moment to moment. So yeah. Or skillful choices. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's great. Yeah, I guess one of the reasons I asked about like the energetic shifts is just because I know for neurotypical people, it's so beneficial for us to have this practice that helps our nervous systems and to like have that that mind body memory. So I was wondering, you know, how much of a of a benefit do you see in terms of teaching them to access that, that calm part of, of the nervous system. And if you get any feedback about that. Yeah, I think that at the, at the end of every class, I, I give a moment, I say, does anybody, would anybody like to share a movement word or gesture about how they're feeling at the end of class? And, and usually I get, you know, thumbs up or peace signs or people saying I'm happy, I'm peaceful. And again, because that's been in repetition for so long, I think that 
that like they understand that that's where we're headed and mm. and getting to I don't know that I have them reporting back and saying like I was mad at my mom but I did three deep breaths and now I feel better I don't you know that is doesn't really happen but I I know that we've got folks like sometimes folks will start to be disruptive during shavasana and other folks will be like please stop that I like this part <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, or, you know, I'll, I'll come in and, and I'll say like, okay, you guys, I had kind of a like yoga exercise plan, but you seem like you're really kind of in a chill place. Is that, is that true? And they'll be like, yeah, Sarah, can we just do the relaxation part today? And I'll be like, yep, absolutely. You have to be so, so flexible with your plans. <laughs> and your- <laughs> yeah. But, but I think that, you know, I, I want to be serving my students, you know, I, I and, and if I'm teaching, a, you know, just a flow class either, I, I don't ever want to come in and, you know, think that my agenda is the most important thing happening in the room. Mm-hmm. And I'm there to, I'm there to serve and support. And, and I do think that that, that is kind of one of the fundamental teachings that we learn through practicing yoga is, is how to shift in mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. move with the you know, with what's happening and and how do we let that be part of the cohesive whole? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. I'm going to ask a question that's just been brewing. I think I've got it complete in my mind now. What are some misunderstandings that you think people have about adults with cognitive disabilities that you would like for people to know or understand better? I think that sometimes people think or behave in ways that suggest that they think that, that they are overgrown children, Mm. you know, that there, that there isn't the nuance of, of still being an adult and having limited capacity in an intellectual way. I think for sure on people with Down syndrome, there's this, notion that they're always happy. Um, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're not always happy. They're not, you know, they have a wide range of emotions just like everyone else. I think that, that there's sort of this, this worry that you could offend or hurt people. And that's, you know, they're humans, they're, they're people, they want connection more than anything else. And then I, I think that there can be discomfort, you know, there can be things like, you know, sometimes people don't have the same kind of grooming habits or, um, you know, if people are drooling or not able to, to manage their body in the same ways that that can be sort of off-putting. But, but I think if you can recognize that as part of the disability and look beyond kind of some of the, the physical presentations, like there's so much gift um, Mm -hmm. for you. And, and recognizing that that like that that comes up for you like that that if you see someone that's that's drooling that that might activate part of your brain that you know I think about inside out movie you know like your disgust you know goes off which is normal like right like but but like how do I how do I tolerate that discomfort from what I've learned from my yoga practice and move beyond that right I think just just that that idea to answer your question I hope is that is that there's there's more in common with with folks than there is that's different and so like how do you find that shared humanity because they might like the same band that you do they might have the same favorite movie they might have the same favorite yoga pose as you you might like to go to cracker barrel too <laughs> yeah <laughs> and exactly. like how do you 
just make those very human connections in a way that is, you know, heart to heart and, and not dependent on, you know, you being the exact same. Right. Right. The essence, our essence is the same. The presentation of things might, might look a little different sometimes, might not behaviors might be a little different sometimes, but when you think about it in the scheme of all the people you know that's true with everyone you know so right right and what what do you do when when you find someone doing something off-putting in your life in any capacity hopefully like you said you recognize it in yourself and maybe you get curious about yeah you know what's why that's happening or um you know so that instead of immediately reacting or judging you're like just more more curious about it. Yeah. And you can use yoga techniques. You know, if someone is getting agitated, you can say, you know, do you think it would help if we took three deep breaths together? You know, or like, okay, it seems, it seems like you're having a strong emotion. Can you tell me what that is? Or where do you feel that in your body? Mm -hmm. You know, and using what you know about your own yoga practice to facilitate that, that conversation, that connection, you say, oh yeah, when I get mad, I feel it in my hands, they get all hot or, you know, whatever it is for mm-hmm. you. And mm-hmm. um, you use that, that understanding. Yeah. Um, yeah. Does your sister like to do yoga with you? I know in my own family, it's hard to get my child to do yoga with me. So I, I know sometimes family members have the hardest time teaching family members, but. Yeah. Yeah. She does. So, so um, I live in North Carolina. She lives in Colorado and um so we don't get to see each other very much but she really does like to do yoga with me and we did a series last year uh where we we got on zoom and other people were invited and we did yoga together and sometimes you know we'll we'll just get on and do yoga whenever she comes to charlotte she loves to do yoga with me oh that's so nice yeah, so she is not my kids on the other hand, they they were great when they were little and you know now that they're teenagers, they don't really want to have much to do with it. But <laughs> yeah, she she does she loves doing challenging poses. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, she wants me to help her, you know, figure out how to do wheel and there's this reclined handstand that I've learned um from from Matthews or uh, adaptive yoga training that's where you're you're up against a wall and it's it it energetically simulates so you're on your back but you, you bring your body into a handstand position and really energetically your 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 vestibular sense somehow like really feels like you're balancing in oh, space wow. and she really? she always wants to do that one and and so she really she goes for the yoga circus tricks uh-huh, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I can't blame her it keeps things no. interesting <laughs> yeah well she's like she's always she's always been such a daredevil she was like a, a special Olympic slalom oh, ski wow. racer oh, and, my gosh. Um, always wanting to do the like crazy amusement park rides so uh-huh. um, it makes sense you know it goes with her personality that she would want to like you know oh is there a hard yoga pose I want to I want to let's figure it out how can yeah, I do yeah, it yeah so, yeah 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 one of the um, things that you mentioned um, in your email to me was that I think you took Jason's sequencing course. Is that the one that you took? I've or, taken all three oh, of them. Oh, yeah. But yeah, the sequ- okay. yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. You mentioned that you were able to adapt his concepts. When he got your email, he was so excited <laughs> because he was like, this is what I try, I'm trying to empower people to do, which is to take these foundational concepts and apply them in a way that makes sense in their teaching, in their personality, and then with their students. So I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit more about that. 
Yeah. So I loved that, that class. And it really helped me think about like, what is it that I'm, that I'm trying to do and how can I section it out? And so we have a sequence that we do um, our yoga warmups, which is kind of that spinal movement thing. We then have a section that are called head to toe stretches. And that's where we, we, I start up at the head and neck and we work all the way down to our toes. That in, that's where we do some, some breath work and some vocalizations, do a version of an ohm that we call ah, ooh, mm, which I learned mm. from the love your brain training and it segments it into smaller sections. And I don't know and about the really love your fun. brain training. Oh, you don't? Oh, no. you got to know about that. So they, okay. they, they do training for folks who want to work with survivors of traumatic brain injury. And then they also work directly with folks who've experienced traumatic brain injury and even post-concussion situations. So um, they're an amazing organization as well. There's a lot of things that I've learned from that population, like learning about that population that is helpful with adults with cognitive intellectual disabilities too. Okay. So, so we do, you know, we work our way from our head to our toes with our stretches. And then the next section, I call it strength builders and yoga fun stuff. So that's where we do more traditional asana and um, we do like some intuitive movement, somatic kind of stuff. We might, you know, we might play like yoga, Simon says, or something, you know, if, if it's like a playful fun day, not, not all the time, like a lot of times we're not doing yoga games, but we're doing the more traditional yoga poses. And, um, and I always try to include some intuitive movement. I just think that that's such a, a cool thing that's happening in yoga space now. So maybe that's yoga dancing. Sometimes we, I say like, if you were a piece of cooked spaghetti, move like you were a piece of cooked spaghetti. And just, or, you know, when it was near Halloween, we were having a Halloween theme and I was like, you know, ghosts don't have any bones. So move like a ghost that doesn't have any bones. Mm. And that just helps folks kind of act again, like giving that reference for mm-hmm. like, what would that, what would that look like? You know, I'm not going to say intuitive movement because that's not going to make sense. But and now that I say that, sometimes I would say that's, this is called intuitive movement. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, we call it mm-hmm. yoga dancing. And then after that, we do a yoga cool down. So variations on poses like child's pose or Bhattakanasana, those twists, those kind of things that are your traditional yoga cool down poses. Then we do relaxation and meditation. So usually I'm doing a guided a guided meditation, like a, you know, part of a yoga nidra or just a, a body scan, or I might you know, give, tell a little story where they're incorporating their senses. In February, we did a, a five senses, you know, what you see, what you smell, what you hear, what you taste, what you touch. And we did that in our imagination at the end. And then depending on the group, um, some of my groups are better at that than others. We might have a minute of quiet. We might be, okay, last week we did a one minute. Let's see if we can do two minutes and just see, you know, how, how that goes. And then after that, um, we, we set up and I give everybody an opportunity to, if they want to share a word, phrase, or gesture, you know, movement, gesture, sign, language, you know, whatever they want to share, um, they don't have to. And then we always close with the same, with the same thing. So some things are the same every, every time, like the closing and the yoga warm up are, 
are pretty much the same every time. And then like based on what I learned in Jason's class, I keep things consistent for a month. So we learn a new meditation technique every month. We have a different yoga pose sequence every month. I might throw in a couple of different techniques in the head to toe stretches just to keep it kind of varied. Mm-hmm. But I loved what he taught about how the, the repetition actually helps deepen learning and that you are helping your students grow when they have some idea of what to expect. Mm. And so that was that was a huge, a huge takeaway from that. But it was it was really you, you asked a question earlier that was sort of like, how did you figure out what was working? And, mm-hmm. and this was a huge thing for me to just say, like, OK, put it into this container And it doesn't mean that you're repeating yourself every single week, but you are, you are giving them a framework. And because so many of them thrive on routine, it is really good, but then I'm still layering in new things and like, okay. So like, I remember one day I was just feeling really tired, honestly, of doing the head to toe stretches. And I, so I said, Oh, let's take a vote. Should we do head to toe stretches or should we do toe to head stretches? And they were like, let's do toe to head stretches. And so we did it backwards, you know, which was just, you know, it just gave me a little mental break, but, uh-huh. but also it was just like fun. And, but still within that container. That's um, great. Yeah. Yeah. So you're having that permission to do that and not feel yeah. like, oh, I'm repeating myself, but I would imagine also repeating it gave you more feedback in terms of if it was working or not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then it also like I think another thing that I don't know if Jason said this so much as I just as I just watched in the classes that that having personal connections with your students whenever you can is going to deepen it like in, in some of the courses that I took with him there were some of his longtime students there and he really you know he would say, "Hey, I know that you've got a shoulder thing." And like that just is so nice like you know yeah, to know that you know, Jason Crandall is paying attention to you and that the, what's going on with your shoulder matters Yeah, in the same way, in the same way, like I, I absorbed that. I mean, I think that that was there for me already, but also like, okay, so Paul really loves the rocking chair, but Russell really loves the yoga pizza, which is, you know, what we call when we do the wide legged forward fold, you know? And so like, and then I can say like, oh, you know, or like Cynthia's got yoga dancing coming up next. This one's for you, honey. Uh-huh. You know, and that, and really the more that we, that we have that routine, the more I'm able to know this is a way that I can connect with that student. Mm. And I can bring that back in a couple months, you know, if, if I, if I feel like, all right, we gotta, gotta make sure that everybody is feeling recognized and acknowledged and loved where they are and what they, what they enjoy. And I, sometimes if we do something new, well, I'll go around and you know pause. I said, let's do a check-in and tell me, did you did you like that pose? Thumbs up. You it was okay, like wiggle your hands, or like, no, I didn't really like it, thumbs down. And you know, and and give them a chance to give me feedback if we're trying something new. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because they are what this is for. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Sarah, do you offer teacher training? Yes, I am in the process of putting together something independently. I was um, I was working with a kids yoga company that um, is sort of in a hibernation <laughs> phase right now, but I am looking to do some uh, trainings in um, the latter part of the year. So it'd be great. I mean, if, yeah, uh-huh. I think it would be so beneficial for so many people. I love yoga training, and I love sharing insights of 
of how you do this work? Because I think there's a lot of folks out there that would like to do it, but they just feel nervous and scared. And so I would love to be able to get back to doing that again, but I'll be, I'll be doing it kind of under, under my own thing now. Yeah, absolutely. That takes some time. Where can people find you? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook at um, Sarah Henderson Yoga. It's a little tricky because it's Sarah with an H and then H for Henderson Yoga. And then my website is yogaincludesme.com. Nice. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah. It was just such a joy to talk to you and hear about all the work that you that you do. And thanks for thanks for sharing with us. Thank you so much for having me. Truly a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this episode was inspiring to you and educational. And if you enjoy the podcast, I always appreciate any feedback, sharing with friends, sharing with family or your studio, and of course, giving it a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcast. I will put show notes at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 260. And just from my heart to yours, sending you a big, big, big hug and lots of warmth. Until next week, enjoy your practice.